Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, Kevin Stone. Adam Kirchin is on assignment tonight, but we are fortunate to be joined by Doug Kyad, friend of the show from Pro Football Focus. Doug, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing we're doing good. We're doing good. We're, we're definitely, we were just saying before we went live, we're definitely not as busy as you've been the last three weeks. It's been quite the stretch for you, my friend. You went from the Senior Bowl to the Super Bowl to the Combine. So are, are you glad you're home? <laughs> yeah, definitely glad I'm home. It's it's always fun to see, you know, the the media friends that now I'm not going to probably see for another 11 months. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to be home with a family and, and able to sleep a little bit more now. Now, I, I, I've been meaning to ask you, the last time we had you on, you were at Nesson. It was right before you got hired at PFF. How has the transition been for you? It's been great. Uh, PFF, is a, it's a great company to work for. Uh, really fun to do the whole national thing. I'd been wanting to do that for a couple of years anyway. So it's been a really interesting transition. Uh, I feel like I, I learned a lot in the first year really looking to build on that in, in year two coming up here. But uh, that was one of the really cool things about being at the Senior Bowl, uh, Super Bowl and Combine is that I got to meet a lot of people at PFF. You know, I'd kind of gone through the first like six months of the job, just virtual, talking to people on Slack, things like that. But uh, it really gave me a, a good chance to get to know everyone at the company. And I think that's only going to make things better moving forward. Now, before we jump into the football talk, I do want to uh, mention real quick, our primary sponsor is Mortgage Right. It's a great time to take advantage of the equity in your home if you have questions about taking out cash. For home improvements, debt consolidation, paying tuition, or any other general questions, reach out to Herb Devine and his team today. With more than 25 years of experience in the mortgage industry, Herb is your guy for mortgage questions. Give him a call today at 781-254-2846. All right, as we mentioned, Doug, you... Our back home now from the Combine, it was an interesting weekend, as it always is every year. Of course, Combine didn't happen last year due to COVID, so it had been a couple of years. Just your overall thoughts on the Combine. Who stood out to you? Who were some guys that got your attention? And who were some guys that, that if you were to look at them from a Patriot lens, could potentially be players that, that the Patriots were interested in? Yeah, you know, a lot of guys definitely uh, impressed me quite a bit at the Combine. Um, a lot of guys were going to go pretty high at the Combine, I think, were, were really impressive. Uh, Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. I expect him to be a top-ten pick this year. Uh, Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty, he really jumped up the rankings uh, quite a bit this week, I think. I think he improved, impressed people quite a bit. Uh, Cedric Wilson, the wide receiver out of Ohio State, he's potentially a guy that could interest the Patriots there in the, in the first round. I've heard that he interviewed – really well. Um, another guy who really helped himself out quite a bit uh, is Troy Anderson, the linebacker out of, my, out of Montana State. Uh, he ran a 4-4-2 at 6'4", 243 pounds. He'd also impressed at the Senior Bowl, uh, and he's kind of that, he's that right size for a Patriots linebacker. The interesting th thing there is that, you know, those guys usually don't run 4-4-2s. Uh, he's got a really interesting background co coming from Montana State. Uh, he was really good in coverage, really good in pass rush, uh, you know, good at, at run defense. It was at a smaller school, though, so you wonder how those skills translate. At the same time, the Patriots spent a second-round pick on Kyle Duggar just a few years ago, so they are willing to take those, you know, raw, small school guys. But, you know, just from talking to people around Indianapolis, it does seem like Anderson would be a good fit for the Patriots. I was talking to a linebackers coach for actually quite a while 
uh, in Indianapolis, one of those, you know, late night bar chats that happened at the combine. And he was kind of really breaking down what NFL teams need out of a linebacker core at this point. And that's, you know, at least one linebacker that you trust to play on all three downs. You need at least one linebacker that can play, you know, the first two downs as a run defender and then there's kind of a, a third guy that you need to play on special teams more athletic guy can play on third down either as a pass rusher or as a coverage guy and just to me Anderson seems like that first guy that guy who could eventually play all three downs maybe he can't do it right away uh, but just a really intriguing prospect Doug obviously I think the biggest thing we all learned this weekend is there is more speed than ever you know coming into the NFL um, some of the numbers were just ridiculous the Patriots obviously need a receiver and a corner. Probably can't pay up for, you know, an elite guy in free agency. Anyone in particular on either side of the ball, those two positions where you think um, they could really hit? Yeah, the, it's fortunately for the Patriots, it is a good cornerback and wide receiver draft. Uh, it's really tough to know how those wide receivers are going to come off the board this season uh, in the draft because it, it really seems to be kind of a – a matter of preference, you know, which ones are going to be coming off the board first or uh, which one is even going to be the first wide receiver in this draft. But uh, there were a lot of guys that, that stood out to me this this week. Uh, Calvin Austin out of Memphis, he was one of the, the faster wide receivers. He's on the smaller side, but uh, he's a guy who actually really even caught my eye at the senior bowl because he was just so quick off the line of scrimmage, so fast, uh, can, can get in and out of his breaks really quickly break some ankles there at, at cornerback and at, at wide receiver. Uh, Chris Olave out of Ohio, Ohio State, another one of the faster wide receivers in this class. Um, he really, you know, burned it up on the track uh, uh, at the combine. Ran a 4.39. It was clocked faster than that at the start, but uh, he really proved his speed there. Uh, I meant to say Garrett Wilson, by the way, earlier. I was talking to the Ohio State wide receiver. Um, but it just a ton of speed, like you guys were mentioning, uh, you know, Taekwon Thornton ran a 4-2, a bunch of guys ran a 4-3, lots of guys in the 4-4s. So uh, a lot of really intriguing prospects at wide receiver in this class. And same thing goes for cornerback. It, it, we've got a better sense of how these guys are going to be, going to be coming off the board. Uh, we know that Sauce Gardner is going to be the first cornerback taken. Uh, we know that Stingley is going to be you know, in that mix as well. But you know, for the Patriots, it, it's, it, it's kind of tough to say exactly – who will be there? It's certainly possible that a guy like Stingley could be there when the Patriots are picking 21st overall. Maybe some of those Washington cornerbacks uh, could be there as well for them. Uh, Trent McDuffie or um, uh, the other one, Kyler Gordon. Uh, you know, it's it's a deeper wide receiver class than it is cornerback class, uh, but definitely some intriguing names that could be there for the Patriots at number 21 overall at, at both spots. You know, Fans around here were pretty excited last week when they heard that the Patriots had spent a lot of time with the receivers at the Combine. And one of the things that that I cautioned people on was, hey, they're doing their due diligence, like just like everyone else is. They're just, you know, basically crossing their, their, their T's and dotting their I's here, making sure they do their homework. But is it a realistic possibility with all the other needs that they could potentially have? Because it appears that they might be moving on from J.C. Jackson. Obviously, today they cut Kyle Van Noy. They were going to retool their linebacking core. Is it a possibility, Doug, that they go receiver in the first round? I know a lot of people are going to point to the fact that Belichick hasn't had a lot of success developing receivers. We all know how people in New England feel about Nikhil Harry. Are they possibly considering going wide receiver at 21? 
I, I doubt it a little bit. You know, it's a it's a good class to do it. Even a guy like Traylon Burks, he didn't test that well, uh, but he's he's a player that could make plays for the Patriots. Big wide receiver that could possibly even fit like a Debo Samuel type mold mold for them. But if you look at the their roster construction. You know, as long as they keep Nelson Aguilar this season, they're at least pretty solid still in those top three with Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers. Uh, if there's a possibility that they could acquire a wide receiver via trade, then obviously that boosts things even more. Um, obviously, Calvin Ridley's out of the mix at this point, but you know there are some wide receivers that could be had uh, in trades, and then there's free agency as well. And you know, I do expect a lot of these wide receivers to to be you know paid pretty highly in free agency, possibly even out of uh, the, the Patriots price range. But there are just other ways to acquire wide receiver help. And while I do think that, you know, getting that number one weapon for Mac Jones, getting a guy that he can grow with it is really important. There probably ultimately are bigger needs on this roster, and and cornerback is definitely one of them. Linebacker is another one of them. Um, where if you're really just kind of stacking needs across the board, those are probably a little bit higher. And if that right cornerback is there at number 21 overall, that's a position that has the value of a wide receiver. A linebacker might not. You might be able to get a linebacker in the second or third round, uh, but cornerback has that value of wide receiver. And it's a current bigger need on the Patriots roster. Doug, I want to ask you about some of the local guys. Um, not just because we're a local show, but I feel like some of them could work here as well. Um, Zion Johnson, Alec Lindstrom, um, Travis Jones from UConn. Just your thoughts on those guys, because you've obviously been with them from the Senior Bowl to the Combine and now um, leading up to the draft. How impressed have you been with the three of those guys? Definitely really impressed. It, it seems like Zion Johnson, uh, you know, has a very legit possibility to be drafted in the first round. Um, it, you know, it, so he, he's someone who's really impressed throughout this entire process. Uh, the, the also obviously Boston college throughout the years has done a really good job with their offensive line and Zion Johnson is no exception. He probably going to play guard, but he was even taking some snaps at center there at the senior bowl and Travis Jones tested extremely well. You know, if, if Jordan Davis hadn't, you know, blown up the combine uh, on what was that on Saturday, uh, yeah. Travis Jones would have been a, a huge story as well, just because of how well that he worked out. So he's certainly a guy who can rise through, the pro through this process as well, based on that testing ability and based on that athleticism. You know, you mentioned Zion Johnson and, and Alec Lindstrom, or Kevin mentioned him. You mentioned Zion Johnson possibly being a first rounder. And then you look at a guy like Travis Jones coming out of UConn, a program that struggled last year, it's struggled a lot in recent years. But now all of a sudden, a guy like Jones is, is a guy that could potentially sneak into the first round. When you were in Indianapolis over the weekend, what was the sense you got from talking to people? Are there some other guys that are guys that are fringe second rounders that could find their way into the first round? A guy like Jones, a guy like Anderson, possibly? Yeah, I mean, it. It's, it's an interesting draft because outside of really, I guess, like the top 10 or something, you could see, you know, 30 or 40 different guys go, go in the end of the first round. It's, it's such a deep draft that I think that, you know, finding a consensus board and, and finding a, a board that everyone's going to agree on really at any position is going to be different, difficult. So, yeah, a guy like Anderson, I, I think 
probably more likely to go in the second or third round. Uh, but with his athleticism and with the way they tested, he's definitely a guy who could who could shoot up the board a little bit. It seemed like you know Kyler Gordon out of, out of Washington was a guy who could potentially sneak into the first round or, or was kind of one of those fringe first, second rounders. He might be kind of falling a little bit more now after how he tested at the combine. Um, but it, it's, it's a long process ahead of us, obviously. Um, and it, the combine really is only the first part of it because it, one thing that was kind of unfortunate at the combine was that a lot of guys didn't get to run the three cones. They didn't get to run the short shuttles. Uh, there was just less testing overall. There was a report out from Yahoo today. Charles Robinson said that, you know, running backs wanted to run the three cone and short shuttle, but they simply ran out of time. So that puts much more emphasis on the pro days like it has in the past. And the reason for that is that they're holding these drills so late that, like I said, they just actually run out of time. They don't want these guys running these drills at 11 p.m. So in the future, I'd like to see those drills moved up again into the afternoon. Uh, I don't think it really benefits anyone the way that the system is constructed right now. Uh, but one other guy that could move up significantly is UTSA cornerback Tariq Woolen. I wrote about him uh, about a week ago. He ran a 4-2-6 40-yard dash. It's six foot four, 205 pounds. Uh, it's the fastest 40-yard dash by a cornerback over six foot three uh, by a wide margin. I think the, the past fastest was Kevin King. He ran a four, four, three back in the day. Tariq Walton ran a four, two, six. So, I mean, if you need a tall cornerback to match up with a speedy wide receiver, you can't do much better than Tariq Walton. He wasn't the most productive cornerback in UTSA. Uh, he didn't grade out that well based on our metrics, but he's still extremely raw, only moved over from wide receiver during his sophomore season. So, uh, you know, if he can get groomed into that position at the NFL level, then this guy's really the limit for a guy like Tariq Woolen. Doug, just sticking with the local theme real quick, uh, what did you make of the, the defensive coaches being at BC last week? Because uh, I was there, and it's funny, I actually walked by Gerard Mayo twice and didn't even really you know, realize it until that second time. Um, I, I was pretty stunned to see them there just this time of year. Um, what did you make of that whole thing? Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, it, they, I think the only Patriots coach at the Combine, other than Bill Belichick, who I think was only there for a day, uh, was Kenny Cord, their special teams coach. At least that's the only one that me or you know some of the other coaches that were around the Combine saw there uh, in Indianapolis. So just there really is less of an emphasis on coaches going to the Combine in general. Uh, it's a lot of you know, college scouts, obviously, to watch prospects, a lot of pro scouts to talk to some of the agents about their free agents, um, and it, it just a lot fewer coaches. And, and we saw that firsthand here with the Patriots where they were at that Boston College uh, practice. I, I think the fact that there is talent coming out of Boston College is probably one of the reasons why that happened, why a guy like, you know, Zion Johnson could sneak in the first round, a guy like Alec Lindstrom, obviously a little bit lower, but just a, a decent amount of talent there at Boston College that the Patriots can pay attention to. And I I almost kind of want to say that, I mean, is it a coincidence that they were there when everyone else was at the combine? I feel like they were kind of like showing themselves doing something else other than being in Indianapolis that week. So I don't know. Maybe that's just a, a conspiracy theory on my part. But I, I thought that it was pretty interesting that they were in the public eye outside of Indianapolis. Well, do you find it interesting, Doug, that coaches are staying away from it? I mean, the combine used to be 
uh, the, the first step towards the road to to final evaluations of prospects because from here you go on to the pro days. But I thought it was interesting that so many coaches stayed away. The combine used to be a coach's haven of sorts, if you will. Is that surprising to you that so many staffs opted to either send one or two coaches or so many head coaches opted not to go at all? Yeah, I find it interesting. Yeah, Sean McVay wasn't there, uh, the Rams' entire coaching staff. Uh, actually, I saw Zach Robinson there. He's their uh, former Patriots draft pick. He's their assistant quarterbacks coach. Uh, I think there might have been you know, one other Rams coach there. Kevin Demoff was around. But then uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, the 49ers head coach, also wasn't there at the Combine. I, I think that we might see a little bit more of that moving forward where – Guys can talk to players at, at pro days if they want to. Uh, scouts have been talking to players, you know, way back into the college season. It's and then players that you really want to get to know well, you can bring to the facility for visits. Uh, and, and I would assume that those will be back now that you know the NFL has has lessened all the the COVID protocols. So, yeah, I'm a little surprised. I mean, you'd think that these head coaches would want to get into a room with some of these prospects. I, I interviewed Nick Sirianni when I was down there in Indianapolis and, you know, he has fun with the interviews with players. He, he said this time that he brought in a, a pop shot billboard and was having quarterbacks try to, you know, shoot shots on the, on the pop shot backboard and see what their competition level was like. He told a story about how, you know, back in the day he was working out Gardner Minshew and they were playing basketball together. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that to a certain degree, there is something there where you could get a little tiny advantage scouting by sending your head coach and, and getting him to get to know these players. But at the same time, you have to have a good attitude about it. And if Sean McVay and if Kyle Shanahan and even Bill Belichick think that it's a waste of their time, then ultimately it's probably not worth going there. I will say that, you know, if the NFL wants head coaches to be going to the combine, they're going to have to keep it in Indianapolis. I can't see Bill Belichick, bothering to go to Dallas or Los Angeles where it's going to be a much bigger pain for all the coaches and scouts and agents and media to get around and everything like that. So if they want to keep the head coaches, they should probably keep it in Indianapolis if some of them are already bailing at this point anyway. Well, and their contract ran out, correct? This was the last year that contractually it, it can be held in Indianapolis. Do you see any scenario where it stays? The NFL loves to – to control the news cycle, the sports news cycle, it seems every month, the combine is is their signature event for the month of March. Do you think they do what they've done with the draft and start to move it around, or do you think that they'll do what you're saying, which is it makes sense, just keep it there. It's been there for a long time. Why change it? So it, it was interesting throughout the week. There, there's three possibilities for the host city next year, and that's Los Angeles, Dallas, and Indianapolis. Um, early in the week it seemed like it was pretty bleak. There was going to be either going to Dallas or Los Angeles, even as, as you know, recent as Friday afternoon, it still seemed like that was the point heard from a coach on Friday night uh, that he had heard that he was going to be staying in Indianapolis in uh, 2023. And then both Ian Rappaport, Ian Rappaport reported that on uh, Sunday that it was likely to stay in Indianapolis. And Peter King reported it this morning that it was likely to stay in Indianapolis for at least one more year. So it does seem likely that it will be back in Indy in 2023, which I'm definitely excited about. I, I'm a creature of habit, just like everyone else who goes there. You're also I, I, a big shrimp cocktail guy, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. I It was funny. I, I was leading around a couple friends who haven't gone to the combine as much as me. And basically when they go, they, they don't need to walk around quite as much as me. So I, we were walking back from a steakhouse 
through the mall and I was making all the turns. We kind of, the, you know, everything's like connected there by skyways and everything like that. So I was like, it's a, it's like a labyrinth trying to get from one place to the other through the convention center and everything. And uh, I was with a couple of the guys from the ringer, Danny Kelly and Danny Heifetz. And Danny Heifetz was like, how the hell do you know where you're going? I was like, I don't know. I'm not even thinking like I could probably do this blindfolded at this point. So that's, that's ultimately what I don't want to lose is the ability to do that. Well, if we can get there next year, um, I will absolutely need you to, as a tour guide. Um, but <laughs> three, more, <laughs> three more uh, local guys I want to ask you about real quick. Um, Isaiah Likely and Lewis Stein, uh, both from Georgia, obviously had huge weeks for themselves, uh, as well as EJ Perry. Just your thoughts on those three guys real quick. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, Isaiah, Isaiah Likely was was one of my favorite players, really, even heading into this whole draft process. And, and I think that he had a solid week down there. I think that, you know, just kind of being able to be at the combine and, and doing everything that goes on there. I think he showed some, some good athleticism. I thought that he was solid uh, at the senior bowl as well. Uh, you know, I think that he, he stood out well among the, the rest of the tight ends that uh, Greg Dulcich ultimately will wind up being the top tight end taken uh, in this year's draft, but Isaiah likely definitely in the mix as well. Um, and EJ Perry, I thought that he worked out well too. He was one of the best uh, athletes at quarterback. I heard that, you know, he could get taken as early as the fourth round, as late as the sixth round. Seems like he's definitely on a lot of teams radar as one of the most athletic quarterbacks in this year's draft. Um, and, and he, you know, only Desmond Ritter ran a faster 40-yard dash than him. He had some really impressive uh, agility times, his three-cone, his, his short shuttle. I think that if Malik Willis had worked out, he probably would have tested, uh, you know, even better than, than Desmond Ritter and E.J. Perry. But uh, it definitely seems like E.J. Perry was a guy that that helped himself out this week. And, and sorry, what was the, the last player that you, you asked uh, about? Lewis. Lewis. Oh, Lewisine from Georgia. Yeah. Oh, Lewisine, yeah, yeah. He, he, right. I mean, he was, he was very solid as well. Um, I think that he's a guy that you know PFF is extremely high on. Um, it heard a lot of good things from my coworkers at, at PFF throughout the week. So, um, seems like he was really able to help himself as well this week. It's amazing that Lewisine and Isaiah Likely. We're on the same Super Bowl team at Everett. It's it's crazy to think that Everett High School had those two guys at the combine. And likely, of course, was recruited to Coastal Carolina by our uh, good friend and colleague, Corey Bailey, here when uh, Coach Bailey was down there as the D-line coach and the recruiting coordinator. You, you mentioned um, E.J. Perry and you talked about Malik Willis and the quarterbacks. Obviously, this quarterback class is much maligned, Doug. It, it's not as good at the top as we've seen in recent years. It doesn't have the name cachet that last year's class had or the 2018 class. That being said, I still think this is a quarterback-driven league, and there's enough quarterback-needy teams that I could still see three, maybe even four. Four might be a stretch, but I could see at least three guys going in the first round. What are your thoughts on that? Do you agree or do you think that, you know what, that the teams are going to be more than likely willing to wait with this group? You know, it, that's that's a very solid number that you throw out there because I think the over-under right now on quarterbacks taken in the first round is three and a half. So that's right on the line there. You know, I kind of – I lean towards four just because there are a decent amount of quarterback needy teams out there. I think that it really benefits teams to take quarterbacks in the first round to be able to get that fifth-year option 
Um, I know that a lot of these quarterbacks wind up signing contract extensions before you can even get to that fifth-year option, but it can still help quite a bit. I think that Malik Willis also will go significantly higher than some people think. You know, I could even see him being a top-five pick. Uh, I think that a team like the Detroit Lions at number two overall – um, you know, not out of the realm of possibility that they could take a guy like Malik Willis. So if Malik Willis is going off the board second overall, and there's a there's a lot of space there between number two and number 32 that, that some more quarterbacks could be coming off the board. Desmond Ritter, as I mentioned, really helped himself with the uh, with the 4-5-2 40-yard dash. Um, Sam Howell, Matt Corral, they're still in the mix. Kenny Pickett has a lot of fans in this year's draft, despite the fact that he's got the smaller hand. So, you know, there's a lot of options for teams out there. And um, it, it's – I was asked earlier in the week – you know, if I see this as being kind of similar to the 2011 draft when Cam Newton was the number one overall pick, then you had guys like Jake Locker and Christian Ponder and Blaine Gabbert. It's certainly possible. I mean, it's definitely possible that all these guys could could wind up, you know, going too high and then and then busting in the NFL. But, um, you know, I also think that last year's class, we expected everyone to be gangbusters coming out of the gate. Yeah. And Mac Jones was really the only one who, who did anything. So it's a, it's a tough position to predict. Uh, a lot of these guys graded really highly, uh, you know, in our metrics. Uh, I know that we're a big fan of, of, of Sam Howell. Desmond Ritter is one of those guys that I think that scouts can talk themselves into just based on being a winner. You know, the fact that the Cincinnati Bearcats were four and eight before he took over as a starter and then won double digit games every year that he was there at quarterback. Uh, I just think that some of the intangibles there with him and some of these other quarterbacks uh, are, are eventually going to come across and it's easy to talk yourself into quarterback. So I, I'd say I'd go with the over on that one, not super confident about it, uh, but I do think that there's kind of a quarterback back for everyone uh, a different you know a different type of quarterback for everyone in, the, in this draft yeah and I think when you look at that group it's amazing that that group illustrates how much the position has changed especially in this era of spread offenses in college now you, you don't really have that prototypical 6465 pocket passer that can hang hitch and deliver the closest thing you have there's two guys that I think represent that in this class and that's Carson Strong and Cole oh. Kelly Outside of those two guys, I think when you look at the way these guys are built, it illustrates how much the game has changed at the college level now, where it's not so much about that type of quarterback anymore as much as it is about the shorter but more athletic guy that can make plays in and out of the pocket. Talking to people around the league, do you get the sense that teams are comfortable with that, knowing that, you know what, these guys, especially in this particular class, they're not going to be your traditional quote pocket passers. Yeah, and I think that 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 mentality has changed quite a bit throughout the years. I think that obviously a guy like Russell Wilson really helped it. Uh, Drew Brees helped it back in the day, but even after, even in the period between when Brees and Russell Wilson were drafted, teams were still very hesitant to take quarterbacks who were around that six foot marker. So I think that you know the success of Kyler Murray, the success of Russell Wilson. Um, Baker Mayfield had a couple of good years, but, you know, obviously he struggled last year. There's just more of that in the NFL and teams are more lenient when it comes to quarterback height. And that was one of the things that kind of surprised me when I got to the senior bowl this year is just that, you know, Malik Willis, six foot, Sam Howell, six foot, Matt Corral wasn't there, but he's another guy who's six foot. You mentioned Carson Strong. I mean, he probably would be in this mix of the top quarterbacks if the injuries for him 
uh, weren't the yeah. way they are. He, he had some bad knee injuries, I think, dating all the way back to high school. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, I have no idea where he's going to be drafted, but uh, if that knee injury really did affect his draft stock, I would not be surprised. And at the same time, if that knee was healthier, I do think that he would be drafted significantly higher than he's talked about right now. Uh, Kenny Pickett's another one who is on the taller side, but, you know, the eight-and-a-half-inch hands don't make him that prototypical uh, pocket pass or the, the way that uh, you talk about, you know, the, the guys who are 6'5 with – with all the, you know, all the size requirements and everything like that. Not quite sure what's going to happen with Kenny Pickett, but you know, I do think that the hand size thing matters there. Uh, and one thing that uh, I was talking to someone about this, and they were saying that where hand size really matters for these quarterbacks is, you know, not so much on a lot of the deeper throws, not on some of the longer throws, but the ones where they just, you know, they get the snap and have to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible because, in those circumstances, you can't find the laces. You just got to get the ball out basically as quick as you're, you're given it, as, as quickly as you're given it. And with smaller hands, it just makes those throws more difficult. So it, it's that. It's playing in the rain. It's playing in the cold. Uh, I know that Kenny Pickett came from Pittsburgh, but, you know, in the college season, these guys are only playing until, you know, late November in their home stadiums. So they might only get one or two cold games all year. And it's not the same thing as playing in Kansas city and in late January or in new England or Buffalo, even in December, you know? So I I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if that did hinder him uh, in the draft quite a bit. Doug free agency is rapidly approaching. Um, The the Patriots don't have a ton of money to play with. Um, Where do you think they ultimately need to start out with or, or at position wise? I look at cornerback first. Um, you know, I know they've got Jalen Mills. I've got, the, I know they've got Jonathan Jones coming back from the injury, but they they just need a cornerback. They need something really solid in that position. And I know there were some reports yesterday that uh, you know the Patriots aren't going to franchise J.C. Jackson. Or at least that's the expectation. I'd hold off on that a little bit. I'm not quite sure if if that's true at this point. And I don't know if anyone knows that that's true other than Bill Belichick. Um, Usually the Patriots react very late when it comes to free agency, when it comes to franchise tags. I was talking to an agent of a player that the Patriots franchised uh, in the past, and and he basically said that you know that offer came through at the eleventh hour, and that they had, they tried to work out something contractually. Uh, there was kind of some lowball offers there, and then finally the Patriots are like, okay, we're going to throw the franchise tag on him. So certainly not saying that that's exactly what's going to happen uh, with J.C. Jackson, but they they need to have a plan B there if it can't work out with J.C. Jackson. And I'm not getting a, a great sense of of who that type of plan B will be uh, for the Patriots. Um, you know, in an ideal world, they bring back someone like Stephon Gilmore, but I think that that's unlikely. Uh, it is kind of a, a decent cornerback class. But, you know, I think even a guy like Travarius Ward, who's played well for the Chiefs, he's going to get paid a ton in free agency. Like all of these cornerbacks are going to get paid a ton. So unless the Patriots can find that diamond in the rough, like they had kind of with Jalen Mills last season and go more towards, go even heavier towards zone in 2022, they're going to need to pay for a man cornerback unless they absolutely commit to finding one in the draft. Just a quick follow-up to that. If they don't go corner, you mentioned, you know, maybe bringing back Stephon Gilmore, probably not going to happen. Someone else that used to be here, Chandler Jones. Do you think that's an option? Uh, I I don't I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, you never say never with a lot of these guys, but it's been so long since he's been here, uh, and he's just another guy who's he's gonna get paid a ton. I know he's a 32 year old pass rusher, 
uh, but he's still one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I think that he's going to be right up there with you know guys like Von Miller, guys like Randy Gregory, who will be getting you know something in the 15, 16 million dollar per year category. Uh, Patriots could backload that contract, but they've already got a bunch of backloaded contracts from last year. So that's another scenario where I mean, if I were the Patriots in that circumstance, obviously they did release Kyle Van Noy today. I'd at least see what you've got in Chase Winovich and, and Matt Junon, and not Matt Junon, uh, Josh Uche, guys who are already on the roster, these younger guys that at least have potential. Like at least you've got those guys at outside linebacker. At cornerback, you, you really, you know, unless you count Sean Wade, who wasn't drafted nearly as high as Chase Winovich or, or Josh Uche, at least they've got those former high picks at linebacker. And, they don't have they don't have that at, at cornerback, so th- I think that that's one of the big reasons why I would lean more towards cornerback than the edge. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone, and tonight we are joined by Doug Hyde from Pro Football Focus. It's a great time to take advantage of the equity in your home. If you have questions about taking out cash for home improvements debt consolidation, paying tuition, or any other general questions, reach out to Herb Devine. Uh, with more than 25 years in the mortgage industry, Herb's your guy for your mortgage questions. Give him a call today at 781-254-2846. You know, uh, Doug, you mentioned that the Patriots' needs on defense, and I agree with you. It starts at cornerback. I think that has to be their primary focus, whether it be in free agency or the draft. As we talked about, they also released Kyle Van Noy today. It became abundantly obvious at the end of last season that their lack of speed was a real problem, particularly in the back seven. I know that a lot of Patriot fans would love to see them take someone like Devin Lloyd at 21. I still don't think he's going to be there. And I know a lot of fans love N'Kobe Dean, and I love him as a player too. But from a schematical standpoint, not sure he fits in. But I also think that the Patriots have a lot more depth at linebacker than people think. You mentioned Josh Uche. You mentioned Winovich, who's an edge guy. But you also have Raekwon McMillan, Cameron McGrone. There are guys that are there. Is your sense that the Patriots are going to try to fill those positions internally? Or do you see a scenario where they also not only address corner, but also at some point in this process address linebacker as well? Yeah, I think that they will try to address linebacker as well. In, unless, you know, one thing there at linebacker is that for a guy like Juwan Bentley, I know he, he he was definitely better last season than he was in 2020. I can't see a guy like Juwan Bentley, you know, garnering a ton of interest in free agency. So that conversation that we had earlier about how you're, you're trying to find a linebacker who can play on all three downs, guy who can play on two downs, Juwan Bentley is kind of that perfect two-down linebacker that can fit into your system. So if you, if you put him in there, then – you know, it, it it at least betters your numbers of the, the amount of linebackers that, that you're trying to look for. Um, I liked Cameron McGrone coming out of Michigan. Not quite sure what the Patriots think of him, but I think that he has that potential uh, to be a three-down linebacker. Raekwon McMillan has, has a ton of experience in the NFL, um, but, you know, he did have the injury last season. Not quite sure what the plans are there for him. And Josh Uche, I really like as a player, and I was really surprised that he didn't play more last season. I think one of the, the big thing there was just that Patriots had so many veterans at that position after getting back Dante Hightower, bringing back uh, Kyle Van Noy, re-signing Jamie Collins uh, midway through the season. So 
it, you know, Josh Uche might have just kind of got lost in the shuffle, but I think that there's enough potential on the Patriots roster as long as they can bring back a guy like Bentley to kind of fill in there. But I also think that we've seen over the years how important that position really is uh, for the Patriots. Uh, you know, their their best defenses are when they've got those two, three, four really good linebackers in their defense. And I think that it is time to to make sure that they upgrade that position as much as possible. Um, you know, we, we mentioned Anderson, Troy Anderson out of Monta- Montana State earlier. He's a guy who really fits their mold from a size standpoint. Uh, Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin. He's another bigger linebacker. Yeah, I like uh, him Chad a lot. Yeah, yeah, Chad Muma out of Wyoming, another big one. Brandon Smith out of Penn State. It, it is kind of actually a year where there's a decent amount of bigger linebackers. And, and Devin Lloyd, a guy that you mentioned earlier, he – I'm not sure if he'll be there. I've also – you know, he, you really need a, a downhill thumper at that position for the Patriots. Um, not quite sure if he's ex- like the exact player to do that for them. Um, but, no, I think that they've got some options – in the draft, I think they've got some options on their roster. I'm a little hesitant to say that they would use, you know, free agency as a way uh, to to boost that position for them, just because traditionally that isn't how they found those those off ball linebackers in the past. I do have a question here? Jason Hogan checks in. Even prior to the combine, love the idea of pairing Davis, meaning Jordan Davis, with Farmore after his performance. Not sure he will make it to 21. Thanks for checking in, Jason. Yeah, I would think after Saturday. He could very easily go in the top 15, top 20. He might not be there at 21. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, it, I think that that dream might be dead after that performance, and it certainly looked a lot more likely uh, beforehand. But you know, that's another position. Devontae White, he tested really well out of Georgia as well. I know he's, he's not as big as Jordan Davis, but that would be a possibility. And then the guy that we talked about earlier, Travis Jones, he's got really good size for that position as well. And, um, you know, I, I think that he would be a, a fun one to pair with Christian Barmore as well. But, you know, I do I do think that getting Christian Barmore in the second round of last year's draft uh, it wouldn't preclude the Patriots from drafting another defensive tackle in the first or second round. But it's almost kind of like they got a free first round pick last year by, by getting Barmore as late as they did. Uh, just a quick question, Doug, but I kind of want to piggyback off what I asked you earlier, but there's a lot of household names on that Patriots free agency list heading into next week. Is there any scenario where a guy like Devin McCourty is back? I think it's safe to say that they're probably going to move on from a Dante Hightower and some of those other guys, but could you see Devin McCourty moving on? He has said he wants to continue to play, or do you think he's just so important that in the end they'll find a way to bring him back? I think it's possible that he could leave. Um, you know, it's not something that you would necessarily want to see just because he is such a Patriots legend, played his whole career here. Um, but, you know, if you he, he does want to continue to play, uh, that's what I've heard. Uh, and if the offer isn't there, if he can get more money elsewhere and if the family's willing to move and everything, which, you know, they, they, they've got a permanent house in New Jersey. So it's not like they're 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 locked down to the New England area, I could see it. Uh, like I said, not not wouldn't be an ideal situation uh, for the Patriots and, and Devin McCourty's legacy and everything like that. But there's a decent amount of teams out there uh, who still have ties to the Patriots, ties to the Patriots' defensive system. I know that we'll all be kind of eyeing the Las Vegas Raiders. 
to see who they'll be able to pull onto their defense. I think it definitely helps that they've got, you know, a guy like Daniel Graham uh, and Patrick Graham there as their defensive coordinator. I think it's certainly interesting that Brian Flores got hired by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I know that all of the Patriots defenders thought extremely highly of Brian Flores. Um, and it was certainly in interesting to see him in Indianapolis, you know, wearing wearing the black long sleeve shirt with the Steelers logo on it. Um, good to see him back in the league, even if it's not in a position where, uh, you know, he, he might deserve uh, to be. Uh, and probably prefer him to, to still being a head coach. Uh, but no, I think that there are still some teams with ties to the Patriots who could who could bring on a guy like Dante Hightower, say, as as a situational pass rusher or Devin McCourty as a starting safety and. Um, yeah, th those are definitely two teams that I would view. And I think that Hightower especially would be somewhat interesting in Pittsburgh, uh, just given the ties to Brian Flores and the fact that before Dante Hightower re-signed with the Patriots, he took a visit to Pittsburgh. And that was when, obviously, Mike Tomlin was still there leading their defense. So if there was interest, however many years ago that was, five years or whatever it is, then, then maybe there would still be interest now. I I'm not sure if I see Dante Hightower being an every-down player like he almost was last season. Uh, but you could definitely do a lot worse than having him as a third-down blitzer in your defense. <laughs> Doug, last one for me real quick. The Patriots coaching staff, obviously, um, just a slight topic of discussion around here. Um, just your thoughts on how, how that's going down right now and if you really think this is how it's ultimately going to look um, in training camp. Ultimately, I do. I think that the most likely scenario is that the Patriots coaching staff uh, is is the way it's currently constructed. I'm fascinated by it. It's like, I feel like it's the number one thing I talk about, uh, you know, when I, when I bring people on shows or when I, you know, when I like find someone who worked for the Patriots and obviously like I was saying like a, a bar in Mobile or Indianapolis or anything like that. But the most fascinating thing to me about it is that the, there's one person on the entire staff who has a history of calling offensive plays and it's Bill Belichick. It's not. It's not Joe Judge. It's not Matt Patricia or Nick Cayley or Troy Brown or you know Billy Yates or anyone that Vinny Sinceri. It's not anyone on the offensive staff. It's the head coach. And uh, during the Super Bowl week, I had heard that you know Matt Patricia was going to take on a bigger role on offense, and then it was also possible that Bill Belichick would as well because he did have a history of calling offensive plays in Cleveland. There were a number of years when they didn't have an offensive coordinator. Um, I don't. I don't know how many other teams would get away with not having an offensive or defensive coordinator the way that the Patriots don't right now. It's going to be de facto all around, just like it was in 2010. But uh, one thing I would say, I know that a lot of people are down about this, but I was talking to a coach with ties to the Patriots in Indianapolis, and I, I asked him what he thought about it, and he said, no, they haven't had a defensive coordinator since Matt Patricia left. I know that Brian Flores was, was the, the de facto guy in 2018. I know that um, you know, you've got Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayer running things now, but basically he said that, you know, they haven't had a defensive coordinator since Matt Patricia left and they've still been doing okay. They won a Super Bowl. They made the playoffs twice. They missed the playoffs once. I think that pretty much every team other than the three that have won the Super Bowl in the last three years would probably take that record over the last four years. Definitely gets a little bit more complicated on offense with Mac Jones as a rookie and, and no one to really lead him and groom him. Uh, but I think back to, you know, a couple of things. One is that NFL Films documentary on the Patriots where you've got Bill Belichick sitting next to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick's offense and Bill Belichick and him are, are meeting closely. I'm sure that will continue with Mac Jones. The other thing was just that, you know, there was an interview, podcast interview that Dean Pease did a few years back where he said 
that Bill Belichick spent more time on offense, helping out, you know, Tom Brady going up against defenses than he really did in the defensive meeting room when he was there with New England. So we could see it, that return to form now that Josh McDaniels is gone. He's no longer come to head coach of the offense. Now we might see Bill Belichick a little bit more towards the offensive side and depending a little bit more, you know, you know, yeah, leaning a little bit more heavily on Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick on the defensive side. Yeah, and I know Patriot fans don't want to hear this, but but Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, they kind of espouse, uh, you know, the same theory in that, you know what, the system is in place. The coaches may come and go, but the offensive system, defensive system stays in place, and whoever comes in to call plays on either side of the ball, well, they have to learn that system and use that verbiage, and that's how they've operated. And Belichick, actually, if you go back to his Cleveland days, he talked about the importance of maintaining the system and, and and bringing in coaches and teaching them the system. He's he's very much, in many ways, a Tom Landry of this era. Tom Landry was a big system guy. He believed the same thing. So I think that Patriot fans have to understand that, yes, it's it seems wonky to, to think that Matt Patricia could be your primary offensive play caller, but the system's a system. It's been the same since Belichick has been here, and, and he's going to go with guys he trusts. Jason Hogan checks back in. Are the Bill O'Brien talks dead? I think it's safe to say we're not going to see Billy O come to New England. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, could there have been anything like more logical than bringing Bill O'Brien to New England? Like, it just seemed to all add up and make sense. Or people around the league who thought that was going to happen, you know, having him be coaching Mac Jones, he did a good job with Deshaun Watson in Houston on the field. Um, and, you know, the Alabama connection, everything just seemed to be in line with Bill O'Brien coming back. But I'm not exactly sure what happened there. I'm not sure if Bill Belichick didn't want to go through the hiring process just because it, it would have, you know, unfortunately been kind of a, a sham for to go through the Rooney rule if they knew that they were going to hire Bill O'Brien anyway. Um, I can see how Bill Belichick wouldn't want to waste people's time uh, by going through that process. Uh, but it, it is, I don't know, the one thing I will say, obviously Matt Patricia and Joe Judge have experience on all three faces of the ball now that they've been head coaches. So that helps. But, you know, if you look at this division, the Patriots are in right now, Jets weren't very good, but they've got, you know, they've got uh, uh, Michael Flair as their offensive coordinator. He came from San Francisco. Dolphins have got Mike McDaniel as their head coach. He came from San Francisco. Uh, the Giant, the, the Bills have Ken Dorsey as their offensive coordinator. He's done a really good job with Josh Allen. The Patriots are, are, are zigging where everyone else is zagging and not having that young offensive mind. And, um, I know it's a system. I trust the system. I trust the playbook. I trust everything that, that has been going on with the Patriots. But I do think that offensive play calling is an art for a reason around the NFL. And just not having that experienced guy, it does worry me a little bit. Well, Doug, I want to say thank you for taking the time tonight. Uh, it, it, we really appreciate it. A lot of good insight, a lot of good stuff. And uh, let's do it again this offseason. We'd love to have you on again to – post-draft to break things down with the draft and free agency. Definitely. I would love to do that. Well, we would love to have you. And and again, can, can we consider you now a friend of the show? This is your second appearance. Are you officially a friend of the show? <laughs> uh, officially a friend of the show. Absolutely. You know what? I, I thought I was a friend of the show after, after the last one, but I guess I had to, I, I had to put a little bit more work on this second one to, to get that official billing. <laughs> Well, I think, and I mean, I've been in, I've done radio for over 20 years. I think in order to be quote unquote a friend of the show, it, it requires more than one appearance. I'm not <laughs> no, sure. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think right now talking. you're officially a friend of the show. But in all seriousness, 
It's always good to talk to talk football with your brother, and uh, thanks for taking the time. Thank Absolutely. you again. Anytime, guys. All right, that is Doug Kyatt from Pro Football Focus. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone, I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace. See ya.